You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. On today's show, we're going to be talking with California Employment and Civil Litigation Attorney Andrea Paris about a recent United States Supreme Court ruling with significant short and long-term impacts on the workplace. The case we're going to be talking about today is Epic Systems Corporation v. Lewis. Our discussion is going to focus on the epic impact. I had to go there. I had to go there. (laughs) The epic impact this case is having on employer practices and employee rights when it comes to arbitration agreements. So it's going to be a great show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Andrea Paris. Thank you for having me, Teresa. We're really excited. So before we get started, I want you to introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about you and your practice and maybe a little something people don't know about you. Well, today I am an employment and business litigation attorney. I see myself as a guide who takes businesses and individuals who are stuck in a legal dispute and guide them through the legal process and get them to a resolution. Client education is also a big part of what I do, and so this ties in perfectly. In a prior life, which was a lot more interesting than being a lawyer, I was a Thai teen pop star. That is so awesome. She just shared this with me, and I find it absolutely amazing. I don't doubt it. You are really talented. I can see that in a bunch of different forms. Oh, thank you. If only I could transfer that skill onto the golf course. Well, oh, yeah, of course, in golfing. But that's not going to help you when you golf with me. You can sing all you want. (laughs) Well, for today's program, before we get started actually talking about the case, I don't want to assume that everyone's familiar with arbitration agreements. So I want to take just a brief moment and explain a little bit about what an arbitration agreement is. So arbitrations or arbitration agreements are used in both consumer transactions, so like banking, anytime you sign a cell phone contract, there's probably going to be an arbitration uh, provision in there. And of course, in the workplace, arbitration agreements are a contract between two parties in a workplace setting, that's an employer and an employee, where they agree to waive their constitutional right to a jury trial and instead agree to have their dispute arbitrated in a private setting before a private judge who can either be a retired judge or an attorney. Um, arbitration decisions are binding final rulings that can really only be challenged under limited circumstances. So that's a bit of background on what arbitration agreements are. What we're going to talk about today is why this Epic Systems case is so important to both employers and employees. But you just, have you published your article on the on the case in the Orange County Lawyer Magazine? Yes, the article was in this month's edition of the Orange County Lawyer magazine, and there is a lot of satisfaction that comes into seeing your hard work onto, you know, 
on something that you can hold in your hands. So yes, it is out. Awesome. Okay, we'll be sure to add that article or a link to it on the podcast episode page uh, once it's pub. Well, it's published, so we'll get that up there. So in layman's terms, can you give our listeners just a quick rundown of why this case is important? Sure. As you mentioned, our, there are arbitration agreements in the employment con- context. And in this case, the issue was whether an arbitration agreement that requires an employee to waive the right to bring a class or collective action in court or even in arbitration is a valid clause. And the Supreme Court holds that, yes, conclusively, these types of waivers are allowed to exist in arbitration agreements. A class or collective action is one where an employee is able to seek damages for themselves and for injuries of other similarly situated employees as well. Okay. So now in writing the article that you did, you researched it, you read the you read the case, you did your research, but you also talked to some other attorneys. Did you talk to a judge as well? No. I spoke with an arbitrator. Oh, who, that's right. Yes. An arbitrator who has done class arbitrations. I also spoke to two employee side attorneys and also an attorney whose firm practices on both sides. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay, so Based on all that research and the people that you talk to, tell me what your biggest takeaways from an employee perspective are. So why should an employee care about this case at all? If I can start with Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. Yes, and we don't want to get too lawyerly, but I okay. think that's a good place to okay. start. But there is a federal statute that is was enacted to guarantee workers' rights to self-organize, to band together to protect each other. Um, and it supports the concept that there's strength in numbers. So what this decision does, it is that it essentially allows an employer to put a phrase, a waiver in a contract that will make an employee give up that right, give up that right that is protected under the NLRA. Right. And I think what a lot of people don't understand, so a lot of people think National Labor Relations Act or all of that is just union. It's just for union people. But it's not, because the way that it's phrased, it's not just to bargain collectively, but to also engage in other concerted activity, and that's sort of, you know, for the purpose of collecting bargain, but mutual aid and protection. Yes. So to get formal with the statute. But that means for other things, like banding together to fight whatever workplace issue it might be, whether it's wage and hours, whether it's a safety issue, whether it's anything like that. And... And there have even been cases where just employees getting on, complaining on Facebook and other employees commenting that that was considered concerted activity. So it's a lot broader than just the right to unionize. Right. And I think, so it's interesting, it's probably more interesting to attorneys than (laughs) the average person. But I think that the interesting thing is the the National Labor Relations Board expanded, as you know, a lot of things under the Obama era because things like that did become concerted activity. Correct. All of this Facebook stuff and the social media. And now this is uh, this is probably one of the more significant changes since the new administration has come in because they're starting to walk back a lot of those Obama era protections. And, and those are some of them, you know, because we do handbooks, so we're always looking to see what's considered to be concerted activity or protecting it or not. So, but this this goes one step, this goes one step farther in really, you know, narrowing down the scope of the National Labor Relations yes, Act. Yes, it does. So. And, and, and the employee side in that case were arguing that, you know, if you have 
there are small claims. Employees, you know, one employee might only have damages of maybe $50, but if you take a big company and collectively there are thousands of employees, you know, an attorney might not take a case for the $50, but for the collective the you know the similarly situated employees there is an incentive for an empl- for an attorney to take the case and to try to right wrongs that might not otherwise be corrected that's the one of the toughest things about being an employment law attorney that i found was this idea that you would get to a certain point you get an intake call and you'd listen to the facts you you'd make a decision you could say yes i see that there's something there but then you also have to look at that business side of it. It's the worst decision. It's just the mo- not the worst decision, but it's a terrible position to be in, I felt like. Because you're telling someone you have something, but from a business perspective, it's not worth it for me to take that case. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the really, one of the huge problems with it. Because it's telling the employees, right, that the, you can't collectively bind together to litigate this. You have to do it individually. Yes, it takes the right away from doing it in any form. Not It's not just forcing you into arbitration. It's forcing you into arbitration alone. Right, where you have to, where the, you have to try to get someone to take your case, yes. and it becomes quite expensive. So that's that's one of the um, the the biggest downsides for the employees. I think the biggest change in that, and why again, I think it's important to know that that when you go to sign those, I don't think a lot of people realize that. What you're giving away is your constitutional right to a jury trial. Absolutely. And it's an important thing to really consider and to really think about. And I'm not sure that that gets either people don't realize it because look in a consumer context. You want the cell phone? What are you going to do? You know, I mean, you can try to negotiate with them. Well, I'm going to X out this little bar right here. And they're going to go, yeah, well, you can just hit the door and go find (laughs) someone else who wants to negotiate with you. But yeah. So I I just, I, I, I just... That's one of the things that really bothers me. I think it's just fewer roads to accessing justice. Absolutely. When it comes to it. But was there anything else that struck you from the employee side of it? I think that is the that is that's the big thing because you know that it will essentially kill employment class action lawsuits because employers who don't already have class waivers in their arbitration agreements will undoubtedly get employees to sign them. So in a few years, it will practically be impossible for employees who are each owed a small amount of money to band together and seek an effective remedy. Right, right. Well, we're going to talk about the employee, and excuse me, we're going to talk about the employer perspective in a few minutes. Um, Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get Andrea's employer side perspective on the changes that Epic System is making to the workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who... Worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. 
Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. All right, back to Teresa and her guest. Before we start back in, I just want to let our listeners know that Sapphire Legal is throwing another employee handbook workshop. So if your current employee handbook is out of date or non-existent, don't worry, we can help you with that. On December 13th, 2018, we are going to be holding an employee handbook workshop. Sign up for the workshop and create in real time a complete, customized, legally compliant employee handbook ready to distribute to your organization. Your registration details can be found on our website at sapphirelegal.com. That's S-A-F-F-I-R-E legal.com. Or you can contact us for more details at 949-535-5266. That's 949-535-5266. All right. We're back with Andrea Paris talking about the Epic Systems case. So let's switch as I tell, as I was telling Andrea earlier, we're going to take off our white hats and we're going to put on our black hats and we're going to talk about the employer perspective. So, how is employer? How is the Epic Systems impacting employers? Well, employers should by now know that there is this tool called an arbitration agreement, and that there <laughs> is now conclusive decision from the U.S. Supreme Court that a waiver, you know, a class waiver in arbitration agreements will be upheld. Um, it will surprise you. I get, I still get calls from businesses who are in litigation who had an attorney and are now looking for another attorney because they're saying, why didn't my attorney not tell me about arbitration agreements? I didn't even know that this was a thing. You know, how am I supposed to know what I don't know? And so I think as an employment lawyer, it is really important for us to educate our clients about the tools that are available. And so a business, if you don't already have an arbitration agreement, you absolutely need one at this time. And make sure that the class action, you know, the class and collective action waiver exists in your arbitration agreements. Well, let's back up a little bit just for listeners and talk about, so why, if I'm an employer, let me pose the question to you, right? So tell everyone why an employer should care. Why should an employer care about whether or not they have an arbitration agreement? Because a forum's a forum, right? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll well, tell you the answer to that. No. Yes. <laughs> you tell me. And an, employer, an employer should care because litigation is very expensive. Um, the conventional wisdom is that arbitration is, is a cheaper means to resolve a, a, a conflict. But I think the most important part is that it's private. So yeah. it's, you know, sometimes a case gets kicked to arbitration after the complaint or because the complaint's already been filed. But if you can get a case to arbitration before the, the um, cases have even been filed, then the allegations are private, are confidential. The resolution is confidential. And sometimes it's, it's as if it never existed. And I think that it's interesting because it used to be, used to be that the big selling point on arbitrations was the cost. Oh, it's so much more cost effective. What's not cost effective, and and there's there's all kinds of things that go along with it. I you know as in preparing for the show, as I told you, not my favorite things. Arbitration agreements are not my favorite things. I don't like them personally, but I know that 
they're a risk management tool. And, you know, they're kind of an effective risk management tool, especially at this point, they've just been given a, a big boost. But the selling point is still, is for me, has never been the cost. But I think that's sort of going by the wayside because people are now realizing that, yeah, it's pretty expensive. Yes. Because you're paying for everything. You're paying every, so in court, civil court, you know, you just file your, you file your fee, you, you file the client, you know, the, the complaint, you pay, you know, motions as you go, whatever, jury fees. But for arbitration, you pay for everything. You're paying for the judge's time to hear, you know, the arguments when you, I guess as a taxpayer, you're paying for the judge's <laughs> time, but but you're not paying it's not, out, out, no. it's not coming out of your pocket or your litigation budget. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But and, and so that's every time you want to hear emotions or every time there's a discovery issue, every time there's a hear so it really adds up. But this privacy thing, now that's that's something you can sell to both employers and employees. That's true. That's true. Because there's not to get into a whole sexual harassment discussion, but there there are some types of claims that employees don't want filed at the courthouse because it does become a public record. Absolutely. And so um, I think now that's becoming the new, you know, privacy is becoming the new flag to be waved when it comes to that stuff. It's arbitration. Yeah. Yes. And as to, I think your next question would probably be, but, you know, what about class actions? Why do you want employees to waive their rights to bring a class or collective action? And again, I, and I think that one expense really is the motivating factor there because class action litigation, especially in the discovery phase, is really expensive because you're not just dealing with one employee's claims, but you have to look at the documentation or get expert witnesses to do the calculations on what would be owed. You know, first of all, defining the class and then determining what the damages are and, you know, what that scope is. So that part, it does become, you know, you take the litigation of one employee and times that by... 100 or 200 or 500, whatever it is, it gets expensive. Right. I think that's interesting in the idea that oh, I've got totally where I was going with that. <laughs> Why class action litigations? Well, expensive. no. I, well, that, that idea that it's it, it has such a bad rap. I mean, class litigation can be useful. It can be an effective tool to, to, to right a wrong, in essence. But it's got such a terrible reputation. I mean, how many times I've said it myself? Yes. The only people that make money are the attorneys. True. I say that all the time. <laughs> Sorry to my friends who do class action exactly, litigation. Yes. I, I'm but, apologizing as well. <laughs> but I do, I do say that as well. And you know what? I, I did ask um, Joel, who was the arbitrator that I interviewed for the article. He says, you know what? The one the one thing that could happen is that attorneys will just bring individual claims in arbitration. So, you know what, if I'm defending, I would rather defend a class action litigation than a hundred separate arbitrations. Well, I just wonder how that's going to work logistically. So if one company is getting sued by multiple employees for simile, for the similar claims, how do they not do that whole, I'm forgetting the term, but where you say we want to combine these to consolidate? To consolidate. So how do those cases not get consolidated by that mechanism? Well, it, I, I guess it would depend if you can get an arbitration judge to agree to allow you to consolidate. That's true. That's true. But as an employee, I would just say, hey, you're trying to enforce your individual <laughs> arbitration clause, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just not sure that this is going to be the right particular remedy that it's going to give. I mean, it could undo things. But I think that 
So, you know, as you know, the Fair Employment Housing Act for bringing claims of discrimination is incentivized. That might shock a lot of people, but the reason for that is low wage earners yes. couldn't find enough attorneys to take their cases because of that rotten aspect of having to be a business owner. You know, we've still got to pay for staff and buildings and, you know, rent and salaries and all that stuff. And so I'm wondering, do you think that down the line that that's going to end up being something that's going to, I don't know how that would get worked in, but the idea that it's somehow, in, you know, there's somehow an incentive to for attorneys to take up those cases. Well, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's... Because if you think about it, what's the avenue for someone who's got a low... So if they call an attorney and you tell them, I'm sorry, I can't, I always refer people to Department of Labor. You know, they, you know there's a mechanism there to get your claim. Sure. So does that mean they're going to get inundated with all these smaller, you know, claims? And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they'll be, you know, get a bigger budget. Maybe they'll be able to hire more people. I don't know if that's going to be a... A good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, you might. You, I, I I think you may see more people going to the labor commissioner and filing wage claims there rather than litigating. But there's still, you know, there's still attorneys' fees provisions, right? And you know, some attorneys may still be willing to take those cases, thinking that they can recover the attorneys' fees based on the attorneys' fees provision for wage and hour violations. At least, I've, at least there's a place to turn. At least there's a place to turn. So why don't you tell me, so we've got just a few minutes left. So tell me your final thoughts. Do you think that employers are kind of home free with regard to class and collective litigation? Not necessarily, because there's this thing called the Private Attorney General Act, also known as PAGA in California. And PAGA in Spanish means to pay. PAGA. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, you know, I, didn't know that. I knew there was a reason I like them. I didn't realize that. That's great. Um, so that you know that still allows one employee to bring um, to seek penalties on behalf of the state for not just their own injuries, but for those of other employees. So that that is still an expensive litigation for California employers. And that's a, it, that wasn't included in the, or that question's still open, right? Whether or not the PAGA actions are included in the class litigation waivers, right? That's still open. Okay. We're still waiting for a decision on that. And that's one of those fun attorney things that we'd bore our listeners to tears <laughs> with if we got into. So we won't get into that. So um, any final thoughts, any tips for either employers or employees dealing now with this with this issue, this world we're living in? Employees, know that when you are, you know, read your arbitration agreements and know what it is that you are giving up and ask whether you're required to sign it. And as an employer, I would highly recommend having an arbitration agreement in place, having a class action, class collective action waiver in the arbitration agreement. And as an extra step, I actually have my clients give their employees an option to sign because if, you know, I think that just strengthens the argument um, that it was a, a knowing waiver. I think that's great. And for me, that, you know, that, that idea, because I, you know, I have to talk to my clients about those too. So I talk to employees about the same thing. I talk to employers about the same thing. Um, and it seems like talking out of both sides of your mouth, but until they become illegal, it's still, like you said, you know, it's an effective risk management tool, but employees have rights as well that they need to be aware of. And I think that's great. And I love the relationship because that also strengthens that employer-employee relationship, which speaks to my heart. (laughs) So that's it for our show today. Andrea, 
I know we barely touched the surface on the implications and all the legal nuances of this case, but you've given our listeners a really great overview and a terrific perspective. So thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you want to learn more about Andrea and her practice, you can find her on the web at andreaparislaw.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A parislaw.com. You can also connect to Andrea via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and click on episode 11. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer producer, Paul Roberts, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our conversation on arbitration agreements with employee advocate Neil Patterson. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.